0: Alright folks, so welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 156. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to take a few moments and answer some listener questions. We got another great batch of them uh, this weekend, so we wanted to take a little bit of time answer those for you guys on the air. So I'm going to go ahead and read the first question, and then I'll throw it over to Andrew, and then we'll do our little give and take. So first, I have, hi Andrew, I've been listening to your archived podcast for the last few weeks, and I like what I hear. Long story short, I'm coming late to the party. I'm 61 and have some inherited stocks and mutual funds from my parents. I've just let them sit and ride for the past couple of decades and they've done very well. This COVID market crash got me interested in investing in some value stocks that have hit bottoms through no fault of their own. I've already made some small missteps and want to avoid more. My question is, at my age, is it too late to realize much profit from drip? I'm in good health but logically we'll need to rely on savings and portfolio balances within 10 years. Thanks Diana. Andrew, what are your thoughts on her on her question? Well, I think it's a, a question
2: that's impossible to answer. We don't really know what percentage of the money is in stocks versus mutual funds versus, you know, how much is there in cash. I think maybe we can put ourselves in in the footsteps of maybe let's take two different scenarios obviously this is not professional advice or anything but you know how would I react now so maybe firstly how would I react if I had let's say I don't know I don't know what the numbers are let's say uh five hundred thousand dollars in stocks and mutual funds and let's say that that's Supposed to fund my retirement and I'm going to retire in 10 years. In a situation like that, I think, I think generally anybody who knows about personal finance has learned about it, been educated. They'll generally tell you the closer you get to retirement, the more you want money in bonds versus stocks. And the reason for that's very simple. The stock market has gone up for a very very long time and over the very long term it's gone up for a very long time and the reason for that is because there's very few things in the world like a public corporation and businesses and the ability for businesses and people inside the businesses to grow businesses to create more cash flows and serve more customers and there's really nothing like that. And so as economies have grown and as businesses have grown, then you've seen growth in the stock market as well. Now, the problem with the stock market is that it fluctuates from year to year, and it's not a nice fluctuation. You can have times like we just saw in March where the market drops 20 25%. Um, you can see the market drop. As much as 50% in a year. Back in the Great Depression, it dropped 80%. So, you know, these things, they're not really the exception. They are kind of part of the game. And so when we realize that, yes, over a long enough time period, the stock market, as it's done historically um, since the early 1900s, it's returned about 10% a year. If you've reinvested your dividends also known as drip um and so that's been the case but there's also been huge swings and the key to earning those returns over the very long term is you got to ride those time periods when stocks go down and when stocks go up now the closer you have to retirement the less time you have to ride out any sort of let's call it a hiccup Because basically, if if you really, I I don't want to get too deep into the economics, but but as economies expand, stocks tend to go up, and as economies contract, stocks tend to go down. Um, But as long as you believe in businesses and you believe in the ability to recover, even something as bad as the Great Depression, the stock market has been able to recover from, the United States has been able to recover from, and has continued to cruise. Much, much higher and produce more dividends and more returns for investors over the long term through those tough time periods. So obviously the COVID crash has been a very trying time for many investors, many companies. And that's not to say it's time to sell immediately, but when you get close to retirement, it's a good time to look and make sure that any sort of huge you you really have to think, it, what will happen to my portfolio if the market crashed 50% tomorrow? Because that's if you look at the history of the stock market, things like that have happened before. And so if you're not conservatively allocated between stocks and bonds, um, that could become a problem. And you don't want that to impede on enjoying a retirement.
0: One of the things that I guess I think about when I think about this this topic is, I, you know, I'm kind of right in there with you, Dan. I'm you know 53, so I'm I'm on the borderline with you as well. And I guess I have a little bit farther to go. One of the things that I think about as I've been learning more about the stock market and investing and retirement and and a lot of the things that go into all this. One of the facts that r- remains is that we are all living longer than we used to. And we're living longer than our parents did. And they're living, they l- lived longer than their parents did. So when you're saying you're going to retire in 10 years, it means you'll be 71 when you retire. If, if all that's, you know, accurate and there's a good chance you'll probably have another f- 15 to 20 years after you retire. And so. I think some of the rules are going to change a little bit as we get older and as we live longer, because if we retire when we're 65 and we lived to 95, that's 30 years you have to have for income or some sort of money to get you from point A to point B. And just because we are quote unquote weight to the party, I don't think it means that you completely abandon some of the ideas. I agree with Andrew and I I agree that moving a a portion of your portfolio as you get closer to bonds is a smart thing to do simply for the fact of the extreme volatility that you can see and nothing would suck more, more than to get to the doorstep of retirement and then have something happen like what happened in March and have 30 to 50% of your portfolio drop and Now you're like, Oh, what do I do now? You know, it's recovered quite a bit since then, but who knows what's going to happen over the next three months to a year. It, it could jump all over the place. I mean, my portfolio went from 16% up to 10% down in three days. (laughs) So, uh, nobody really knows what's, what's going to happen, but I think if I were you and the dripping is, I think the right way to go always. And any income that you can earn, irregardless of how close or how far away you are from retirement, is going to be that much more revenue or income you don't need farther down the road. So even if it's accruing, and it, it doesn't mean that you can't take part of that portfolio as well and keep dripping that even going into retirement and continuing that past when you retire because that can help grow your wealth and provide you more income as we get Closer to the end of you know our time here, and not to be morbid, but there's a little bit of kind of what we're talking about, and so I think for me personally, that's going to be my plan. Is as I get closer to retirement, I will convert some of my portfolio into a bigger mixture of bonds, just to have that safety and to have that. Income that I'm going to get from the bonds, even though it won't be as much as, you know, a particular stock or stocks would be, it's still a safety net and it's still a safety, a safe return. You're still earning income on the bonds and you can turn that into things that you can use to pay for stuff. And then part of my portfolio, I'm still going to keep in stocks and still dripping them and trying to use those dividends and all the things that Andrew and I talk about as another way to help me generate more revenue and more income as I go farther into retirement. And that's, that's kind of my plan. So I, I, I hope that helps answer your question, but that, I guess that was kind of my thought. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice... Lounge access wherever you go next. Make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply.
2: I think there's value too, and you know, if you have a portfolio and you're looking to maybe reduce it a little bit trying to figure out which stocks would be the best drippers and which maybe there are some that just got up really high in price and they're very very overvalued and maybe their future isn't as bright as another stock I'd probably keep I'd probably hold on to the stock that's either giving me a good yield now or that I perceive to continue to be able to grow this dividend for years and, and to be able to compound that longer so maybe you, you draw down and really narrow down into Um, the best drip stocks in your portfolio, whatever that looks like. I mean, we don't really know. And I, I think I don't hear social security being talked a lot when people talk about retirement these days. And so that's a factor too, you know, factor that into a budget and, and, you know, maybe that allows you to leave more money in the market
0: because you know that at least you have some safety net yeah that's a very good point i I neglected to mention social security, so that's that's a good catch by andrew that's that's a very important thing that he's right. A lot of people don't talk about that and i I admit i i I did not either I didn't think of that either but yeah, that's definitely income that at least our generation will get you know who knows what will happen with that in the future but uh for sure our generation will be able to get it so that's definitely something you should definitely plan on yeah we'll let that one slide Dave uh, <laughs> thanks yeah. All right. Uh,
2: the next question. Hi, Andrew and Dave. My name is Brian. I've been a listener for about a year and I've learned a lot from your content. So first of all, thanks. Well, thank you. I recently rolled over funds from an employee retirement account to a Roth in my ally account. About 16,000. Half was a 401k, the other half in a Roth 401k. Uh, okay. The market has seen a significant rally as of late and there are still a lot of unknowns with the coronavirus and its future economic impacts. He says, I'm trying to decide whether I should immediately invest that 16000 or spread it out over 8 to 10 months, similar to your thoughts on receiving an inheritance or other lump sum to dollar cost average, and leave the remaining amount as cash in the account. He says, I worry that this rally is a little bit of a false hope and things are going to retract a bit regardless my play is for the long term my ultimate goal is to buy good businesses with dividends that will do well for the next 20 to 30 years i'm 32 years old and hope to retire by age 60 anyhow i appreciate your thoughts thanks so much brian
1: hey you what's the best way to get started in the market download andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com you won't regret it
0: so what well do you think? i think uh, yeah, I, well, I, here's what I think. I think he's on the right track. Uh, he was talking about dollar cost averaging and I, I think that that's probably, I would, that's what I would do is dollar cost average into the companies that you think are going to grow your wealth over the long term. Dividend, dividend buyers or uh, companies that are going to be paying that dividend over the next 20 or 30 years. And as you buy, buy those companies, you're gonna you're gonna see the ups and downs, you just are. but as you dollar cost average, you're gonna reduce that ratio of what you're paying for it versus what it's worth. And eventually it'll get to the point where it'll grow beyond that. and then you'll be sitting pretty with it. Uh, when the market is so fluid like it is right now, trying to time it is is kind of a fool's errand. And if you find a company that you like, just try to regularly buy into it. The stats have shown over years that if you dollar cost average with a company, that the company over time will do well just because you are reducing that cost basis of what you're initially buying it for. And I'll give you a quick example. Uh, There's a company that I bought recently right before the coronavirus hit and I bought it for $34 a share. Uh, Fast forward about a month, month and a half later, it dropped to $14 a share. So my first thought was, oh, but my second thought was, oh my God, it's still a great company and holy crap, that's cheap. So I bought some more, $14 a share which dropped my cost basis of the company from 34 bucks to share to about 20 dollars a share. And then about a month later it was still trading below $20 so I bought some more, which dropped my dollar cost average, my cost basis down even more. So now it's back up to around 20 22 dollars a share. So it's a little bit above where I where its my cost basis is, but I'm still making money on it. And as the economy recovers and things maybe not go back to normal, who knows if that'll ever, what normal will really be. But I think as the economy starts to get better, this company will improve over time because it was really only impacted by the closing of of stores. The product that they sell is still in demand. People are still going to want it. And they're doing a good job of selling it online, albeit slower than if people are walking into the stores, but it's still going to recover. And my point with all this is, is that because I was able to, use dollar cost averaging to lower my cost basis on on the stock, as it recovers over the next five, 10 years, I'm going to do very well with that company. And I'm confident that I'm going to do well with that company. And so those are the kinds of advantages that you can see when you do something like a dollar cost average. Uh, the trick is to find companies that you think are going to be successful. And Andrew has a great, system and a great e-letter that can help you with that. Uh, you can listen to all the things that we talk about to help you find good stocks. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of great resources out there to help you do those things. But I personally, that's where I would go, but I guess I'd be curious to hear what Andrew's thoughts are on that,
2: with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I generally agree. I think that dollar-cost averaging example is really perfect. When I, fir- when I first learned about it and got excited about it, that was... The exact, the exact um, best. The words are are elusive here, but the, it was the best uh, way to buy low and sell high, just naturally from the way it's designed. And so, uh, you, what you saw there was a perfect example of being able to buy low and being able to buy more when it's lower, and that lowers the cost basis. It raises your return over the long term. Uh, by lowering that cost basis. And so, you know, one thing when I mentioned having a lot of money to invest and spreading it out and looking at the very, very long term, this is something I did with, I think it was like 20 grand or something where I spread it out over 10 months and not something I've talked about a lot in the archives of our show, but I don't think I've ever really hammered down on not only is it help you with the market timing aspect, the fact of the matter is, is you're not going to find eight to 10 to 20 stock ideas that are really great ideas. You're not going to find that in one month. And, you know, I might have, let's call it 10, 12 great ideas, and some of them are still in my portfolio, right? But a lot of them aren't Good ideas anymore because they've gone up. And so, you know, as different stocks become too expensive, then they're not good ideas anymore. And so if you're trying to find all the best cheap stocks all at once and then just deploying all of that capital now, I think you're going to have a basket of pretty bad businesses. Or, you know, if it's like, if you're doing it exactly right now where the coronavirus has hammered all of these businesses, then you're basically betting 100% full stop on a perfect recovery. So not only does dollar cost averaging a large sum help you spread out that market timing part of the equation, but it also helps you, it buys you some time to find really some of the best stock ideas. And it buys you some time to let better businesses also drop in price so you can pick those up. And so you're really just taking the best out of the next 8 to 10 months rather than taking the best out of what's there right now in one month. And that could or could not be a great investment for your money now.
0: That is a great answer. That's a that's an excellent point, and I I wholeheartedly agree with what Andrew is saying. Uh, Warren Buffett talks all the time about having a punch card, and every time you find a great idea or great stock, you punch the card, and that you limit yourself to twenty punches for the rest of your life. And I kind of agree with that. I think the more you get into this, the more it is. It's hard to find that one or two great ideas every month, let alone every year. And so I agree with what he was saying. I think if you can find one or two a month, that's going to be great. And buy a little bit, buy a little bit, buy a little bit. Just kind of uh, just keep grinding away. Uh, My grandma used to have this saying that uh, I always thought was kind of appropriate, even a water, even water dripping on stone events. So it makes an impression. So dollar cost averaging is not sexy, but over time it will, it will benefit you. Moving on. Next question we have is, hi, Andrew. Uh, I am a longtime listener from Sydney, Australia. Many thanks to Dave and yourself for the priceless information. I have a question in relation to return on equity. I read that whatever stock return must be compared to the S&P. Example, if stock ABC returns 5%, but the S&P returns 8%, then your investment did not outperform the market. How exactly is the stock return calculated? Is it through return on equity? If not, how exactly does one interpret this, the term stock ABC return X percent over 10 years? What formula is used to figure this out? Hope the question makes sense. Would love to hear both of your takes on this. Thanks a lot, Dylan. All right. Andrew, what is your thoughts on his question?
2: Yeah. So let me give an example. So if you have a hundred dollars, say you have a hundred dollar stock and it goes up to a hundred and ten dollars. And so a hundred and ten is. So 10% of 100 is 10, and if you're adding it to 100, you get $110, which is how much your stock has gone up. So basically, if your stock started at 100 and it grew by $10, that's 10% of 100, and now it's at 110. And so that's how that calculation works. I'll give you another example just to hopefully hammer it home. Uh, say, you have a t- say you have a $20 stock, and it rose 10%. So 10% of 20 is $2. So that means it rose by $2. So the stock went from 20 to $22. And so that that's really just the calculation. It's uh, a simple way to do it is you can take the price that the stock is at now and then you divide it by the price that the stock used to be at and then you minus one and that'll give you a decimal which is the percent and that's your percent return. So, as an example, again, if we took the twenty two dollars, you divide it by twenty, and then you subtract that by one, you're going to get a zero point one, which is ten percent and so it's it's actually a completely different thing than return on equity, and maybe Dave can briefly summarize return
0: on equity and and what that is sure, absolutely, I could do that so Uh, for those of you unfamiliar with return on equity, uh, basically what it is, is it's, you take the after tax income or the earnings of a company and you, and that's in comparison to the shareholder equity, which is found on the balance sheet. And what return on equity really tells us is how much money is the company earning from the equity that's the company owns. So if you have a return on equity of 10%, that means that for every dollar that the company earns, they're earning basically a penny from that dollar. And or I'm sorry. Back that up. So for every dollar of equity they're earning 10 cents. So the return on equity, the higher that number is, The more money that the company is earning from the equity that the company owns. And it's not necessarily, it's not connected to the return of the stock. It's more about the efficiency of the company being able to use their equity or their assets to create more money for the company. So does that make sense?
2: Yeah, I guess I understand the confusion now because you know stocks are also called equities, and so that kind of makes sense, right? Return on equity, but really, when when they're talking about return on equity, it's return on shareholders' equity, which is really just like the net worth of a company. So if if a company has like two hundred million in cash and one hundred million in debt, they have. I got to pick better numbers for this, don't I? Because if I'm (laughs) if I have two numbers, anyway. Uh, if they have two hundred fifty million in cash and 130 million in debt, then one hundred twenty million would be their shareholders' equity, basically their net worth. And so you right. would you would want to calculate return on equity based on that. Um, right. A lot of investors use return on equity, and it, it can be a great way to to figure out how efficient a company is. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if there's much like hard data or research on like higher return on equity stocks historically have led to higher growth but i think conceptually it makes sense that it would be easier to grow if you don't need as much capital essentially to grow and i know there's definitely been examples of that coca-cola is a perfect example of a high return on equity business one of Warren Buffett's best stocks he's ever bought. And it was very high return on equity back in the late 80s and then the 90s. So um, stocks like that tend to do well if the if return on
0: equity is high and if they can sustain that. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And I th- when you think about some of those kinds of, of calculations, return on equity, return on assets, those are more re- internal Measurements. So they're really more comparing how efficient the company is in creating income from, as Andrew was saying, the, the assets or the equity that they already own themselves. Uh, it's not really necessarily compared to the stock price of the company. It's more related to how efficient the business is at taking said set asset or set equity and making money from those things. And generally, the higher the number, the better. Uh, industry-wide, there are going to be different averages for the different industries. Things that are tech-related generally are going to have higher returns on equity. Things like banks are going to have lower return on equities than, say, Apple would but they'll also have much lower return on assets uh, simply based on how the businesses are set up. But the the calculations themselves are fairly easy to perform and you just basically take the net income for return on equity. You just take the net income from the income statement and you divide it by the average common stockholder equity. So you take one year and another year, you add those stockholder equities together divided by two that gives you the average for two years you divide that by the net income and that will give you the return on equity so it's an easy formula to to calculate and it also gives you kind of a quick easy way to determine how efficient the company is with their own income and their generation of money for them and for us in the long term and you actually
2: wrote a blog post with that too and you nicely laid out a bunch of average return on equities for various industries so if that kind of floats your boat i think going to the website and putting the search bar in there putting in average roe you'll you'll see that article from dave it was really good it's a good breakdown and give you a lot of context on those kind of ratios
0: all right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. Uh, I wanted to thank everybody for taking time to write us those questions. Those were great. Uh, you guys keep coming up with some really fantastic questions. It gives Andrew and I a chance to stretch a little bit and hopefully help you guys out a little bit. So please keep sending them and we'll do our best to get back to you and answer them as b- best we can. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us out. You guys go out there and invest with the margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week.
1: We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here
0: today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps)